And we are in our sermon series, Forgive. And for today, it's really important that you listen to what I'm about to say. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. All of your sins, every last one of them, are forgiven in his name. The reason we can forgive is because of this. What you just heard is the gospel, the announcement of the gospel. Today, we're going to get into the issue of why we're able to forgive and how valuable it actually is, how important it is. Often we take it for granted. We hear it so often. It goes in one ear and out of the other. Um, But the reason we can forgive is because of who God is. The topic for today is that uh, is the God of love and fury. That may sound strange. Uh, We don't often think of God as both. We usually think of God as one or the other. As God is either wrathful or God is loving. We we don't often hear those two terms together. This is what's known as a paradox, a seemingly self-contradictory statement that, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded and true. Here's an example of how scripture shows the paradox of who God is and what God does. Numbers 14, it says, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. That sounds good. But he will by no means clear the guilty. How does that make sense? He will by no means, that's an absolute, clear the guilty. Well, who are the guilty? Those who commit iniquity and transgression. How do these work together? Well, our concept of God is usually one or the other. For example, the God of fury is versus the concept of the God of love. Now, if you think of a God as um, ferocious, as, as uh, wrathful, understand that, yes, God is wrathful. In fact, forgiveness is not God's natural setting, so to speak. It's not as if you love to sin, God loves to forgive, and so it's a great relationship. God doesn't want to have to forgive you. See, God in God's personhood is just. Justice means that you get what you deserve. God, as the creator, deserves glory and relationship and awe and faithfulness from the creation. That's the natural way things are supposed to be. But because of us and our sinfulness, we experience God as wrathful. It seems normal. It's like, it's like the way the world is made, that that uh, there is suffering, as if this is normative. And so we experience God as if he is full of vengeance and wrath, and the only way to get around God is to find a way to placate him. This is the oldest uh, religion that humanity has created. It's what Martin Luther called the opinio legis. 
if I can just figure out how to get right with God, then I will be right and I won't experience anything bad. There are churches that function this way that will speak about you need to, to keep God's commands perfectly and then you won't have any sin, you won't, you won't have any suffering in your life, everything will, will go well. If you can just figure out how to be right, then you will be right. Because it's based on what you do. I, um, I know of a church, uh, and uh, a couple years ago, when I was serving down south, another church in our area, where a member of my congregation would go and worship there as well, and had been going for many years to this church, and this person suffered from an autoimmune disease, and at that church they had prayer services where people would come up and, and get healed and prayed for. Well, she went religiously to this prayer service for many years, and she would keep going up when they said, does anyone want to be healed? Yes, she wanted to be healed of her autoimmune disease. Um, after several years of this, one of the people on the prayer team who'd seen her come up many times, when she came up to this person to be prayed for, said, I can't pray for you. You need to get right with God, and then God will heal you. This is actually how some churches speak. Now, hopefully that's not the message you're getting here at Atonement. But there are churches that speak that way, that see God as fury, as wrath, punishing your iniquity, because you are not uh, guiltless. The other choice is to seek a God of love. Now, just like the God of fury, a God of love has uh, a, a, a personality that I think doesn't seem to truly be God. When I think of like a God of love, I, I don't know why, but I picture like, like uh, uh, a hippie with sandals, uh, hey, dude, uh, peace, love, you know, rock and roll, all that stuff. The thing about the God of love is that if God is all love without wrath, then God becomes indifferent to suffering. That's what grace becomes. Grace is not mercy coming from a loving God and a just God, but if God is nothing but love with no justice, then what you get is a God whose grace becomes indifference to evil and suffering. Evil, go, you go and do whatever you want. Go and harm whoever you want. Go and, and live however you want. God's going to love you no matter what. I think we would like a God like that, right? That a, a God that overlooks all of our faults. But also a God who who takes care of us when we've been unjustly wronged, but doesn't get angry at us when we unjustly wrong someone else or live contrary to God's expectations for our life. If God is indifferent to suffering, then love is no longer love. It becomes tolerance of your neighbor's suffering rather than doing something about it. The fact of the matter is, though, is that God is not one or the other. As Timothy Keller says in this book, he says, God is not just a God of love or wrath. He is both. And if your concept of God cannot include both, it will distort your view of reality in general and of forgiveness in particular. This is known as the devil's lie. 
See, the devil does not have to get you, uh, is, not, is not on one side of the God of wrath versus the God of love. Both of these are false ideas about who God is that the devil will try to push you into one way or another. See, the thing is, we seem to think that we're neutral before God. That we can choose to follow God or choose not to follow God and the consequences we get uh, are based on our decisions. Actually, that's not how things really are. We actually start in a place of judgment before God because we are all sinners born into sin. Sin at its heart is a self-celebrating understanding of everything. So God's fury, from our perspective, that wrath is a self-celebrating understanding that God rightly punishes other wrongdoers but wrongly punishes me in God's justice. And God's love is self-celebrating as well, that God should love me and not anyone else. The devil is going to try to push us into one extreme or the other based on these false impressions of God, as if God is just just or just loving and not both. The first one is despair. At the beginning, I said, listen to these words. I announce to you God's will, the gospel, the absolution, the forgiveness of all of your sins in Jesus Christ. Now, if you heard that, and your response to it was it went in one ear, and you thought to yourself, well, that sounds nice, but you don't know what I did this week. You don't know my thoughts or my feelings. You don't know how guilty I feel. You don't know the things that I've done that I don't think deserve forgiveness. If that's the case, then the devil is trying to push you into despair. Because if the devil can get you to either one of these extremes, the devil wins. This is when you feel so guilty because of your sinful nature that you begin to doubt God's grace. You begin to doubt whether God would be merciful to a sinner like you. The devil whispers in your ear and throws your sins at you. You did this. You're going to get it. You deserve all the bad things that are happening to you. Uh, God wouldn't love a horrible person like you. If the devil can push you to despair where you would doubt or despair of God's grace for a sinner like you, then he's got you right where he wants you. This leads to unfaithfulness. An extreme of despair of God's grace is to say, there's so much bad stuff in the world and God allows it to happen and God allows it to happen to me. There, there can't possibly be a God because I'm so miserable. No just being would allow these things to happen to me. Or, or I deserve these things so much, there's no way that there could be a God that would care about me. So I'm not going to care about God. I'm not going to trust God. The other extreme if the devil can't throw your sins in your face, is to drive you specifically into pride where you think that you are not a sinner in need of God's mercy. The devil whisper in your ear, you're so great, you're so wonderful, you're the best thing God's ever made. Everything should go your way. There's no reason ever that you should have a problem with anything. If you heard me share with you those words at the beginning, the absolution, the gospel, and it went in your ear and you just thought to yourself, well, that's nice. And on you go, not really thinking it was for you because you don't need it. Then the devil is trying to push you into pride. 
Pride is where we take for granted the forgiveness that we have from God, as if this is just the what God does. Forgiveness is actually incredibly costly to God. He gives everything in order to claim you through it. And if we just look over it as if it's wallpaper in the life of the Christian or something that's not important, we are being driven to pride. This is really the favorite place where most of us like, are okay with the devil pushing us. Let us self-celebrate ourselves as to how great we are. Pride used to be a sin. Now I think in our culture it's becoming more and more of a virtue, isn't it? It's about self-celebration, self-glorification. Look at how great I am. I'm perfect just the way that I am. God loves me just the way that I am. You ever heard that before? That's pride. And it can lead also to unbelief. Especially when you look around and if anything does happen to you, Murphy's Law, if, if, if something uh, unplanned happens to you, if your life is an easy street, you begin to doubt whether God is even there. A lot of Americans have this problem because we don't really experience desperate as a people. So if any little thing happens to us, we buckle and we begin to curse God. Why me, Lord? Why does my cell phone only have three bars? The grocery store ran out of my favorite soda. Why? First world problems. It's pride. When we understand the devil's move and pay attention to what God is doing, suddenly the gospel becomes something that happens to us, not just something that we think about or an idea that's tied to forgiveness. John 3.16 is probably the best-known verse in the entire Bible. It is the gospel in a nutshell. If you were to say, well, summarize the entire ministry of Jesus Christ. What, what is God's plan for the world in one brilliant, pithy sentence? This is what it would be. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This phrase, gave his only son, is one that all of us should know. It's this. The atonement. The atonement, a way to think of that is how God makes us at one with him. The atonement is the price that God pays in order for his justice to be satisfied. And so his mercy and love can be poured out on those whom he loves. God's problem is how to get through to a bunch of sinners who don't want it. And so the atonement is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross paying the penalty for your and my sin and the world's sin in order to reconcile the world to God so that forgiveness may be received. And it's not that God can't forgive us until his wrath has been satisfied. It's that we are still under God's wrath or rebellion against God by our own doing through, through pride or despair. It's not that God won't forgive us until his wrath has been satisfied. It's that God will not be satisfied until he can forgive a sinner like you. And so he goes to the cross. Jesus' work on the cross is God choosing to bring the rebellion of humanity to an end. How do you end a rebellion? By having winners and losers. Otherwise, the rebellion continues. God becomes 
the biggest loser through Jesus on the cross so that you and I can be winners, so that we can be saved. This is what's known as substitution. Substitute means someone or something that takes the place of another. Now, substitution is how we try to become God. We try to take God's place in subtle and not-so-subtle ways every single day. This is what sin is. This is the heart of every sinful action. Whatever you call evil, whatever you call little, whatever big or small action is that's contrary to God's will, that is you trying to be your own God. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they weren't eating it for good reasons. If you read the scripture, what it says is they were eating it to become like God. Knowing and judging good and evil. So, the first problem with substitution is that we take the scandalous action of trying to substitute ourselves for God. This is what is known as sin. God, not to be outdone, and because of God's love and God's justice, God does something even more radical for your sake. He substitutes himself for us. This is called salvation. What is Jesus doing on the cross? He's substituting himself for us. He takes our death. He takes our sin. And he overcomes the power of the devil, the ruler of this world, for us at the cross. That's what he's substituting for. And the thing about it is, Jesus is able to do it because Jesus is the only true human to have ever lived. We are all God wannabes, and when you have 8 billion God wannabes on the planet, you're going to have some problems. Jesus is the only person throughout human history that actually acted the way a human is supposed to act, trusting God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Being the good creation meant and means trusting and relying upon God to be God. When this breaks in upon us, we begin to understand the scriptures in a new way. Martin Luther called this not law versus gospel, but the distinction, the proper distinction of law and gospel. That God is not speaking just one word to you. He's not just speaking wrath or he's not just speaking love. He's speaking two words that are called law and gospel or command and promise, warning and promise. The law convicts you of your sin. It also teaches you how to treat your neighbor. It's God's intentions for life. But it convicts us because we are sinners. And the purpose of the law is to turn you to Christ, to to the cross, so that the gospel can break in upon you and actually be good news. And the gospel is Jesus Christ died for a sinner like you. This is what we read going forward with John 3.16. Most people take John 3.16 out of context and misunderstand it because they don't keep reading. you got to keep reading to understand the scandal and the value of forgiveness that comes forward in John 3.16. This is what it says in John 3.17. Here we have an example of law and gospel. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God doesn't want to condemn us. God doesn't want to be furious with us. But because of God's justice, he's furious at evil. And whether we realize it or not, because we're not neutral, we're actually sinners that are in condemnation. We don't think what we do is evil. But because we are self-celebrating God wannabes, even the best thing that we do is self-serving. Taking care of your kids without God in your life is self-serving. Building homes for the homeless without God in your life 
is self-serving, self-celebrating, self-glorifying. All those big foundations that you hear about that give all this money, whose names are on those foundations? Who do they glorify? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn a sinful world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's justice is satisfied by Christ in order that God's love could be poured out upon a sinful, broken world. It goes on. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's a promise. That's a promise you can take to the bank when the devil's throwing your sins at your face. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is not sitting neutral as if they haven't made their choice yet. You're already condemned. If there's no faith in Jesus Christ, we start in the place of condemnation. It's amazing that any of us are here. If God was to release his wrath full fold on the world, none of us would be here. Because we start in the place of condemnation because we start under the subjugation of sin. Wanting to be our own gods. And if you think I'm lying or not telling the truth, think for a minute. Are you concerned about what God wants for your life or are you concerned about what you want for your life? Are you concerned about what God is doing for you or are you concerned about what you can do for yourself? We're condemned already because we do not have faith in the one true God. Whoever does not believe is condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. This is as clear clear as it gets. This is the judgment of the world. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Past tense, were. Something new has happened. The judgment actually happened 2,000 years ago. It's the new thing that stays new. It doesn't get old. At the cross, through the atonement, the justice of God is satisfied Because sin is named and the world is judged. Every sin that came beforehand that separated humanity from God and every sin into the future, even the future, your future, is judged at the same time at the cross. And here your sin is given a new name. It's not the little things that you've done. It's not the little white lies or the harmful things you've done to your neighbor or the the thoughts and the feelings that you have in your heart that show you to be a sinner. It's none of that stuff. Your sin is given a new name because it all flows from the same source. Wanting to be God. So at the cross, the judgment is laid on the world. And here's the name of your sin. You killed Christ. And with your sin being named before God, no longer can we justify ourselves. Look at how great I am. Look at how much better I am than my neighbor. Because your sin is your neighbor's sin. It's the same sin before God. You killed Christ. And in killing Christ, you murdered God. We are all deicidal maniacs. Because we are self-celebrating, self-promoting, self-glorifying, rebellious implication of the cross that we are all tied into, that we are all swallowed up in. We are all caught in the act of being. And that is the judgment. 
We would prefer the darkness. We would prefer to continue to glorify ourselves and celebrate ourselves. That's why the cross is so important. It's how God can now be your God and forgive you of your sins. The problem isn't God. The problem has been us all along. So scripture goes on. What has this cross done? What has Jesus accomplished through the cross? The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand because Jesus Christ suffered and died for you, for your sake, in your place, on the cross. But the cross was not the last word. Three days later, he is risen and is vindicated by God that everything that Jesus says is true and everything else has been a lie. Everything is given to Jesus because the Father loves the Son. All things have been given into his hands. So what Jesus says, God says. And if Jesus forgives you of your sins, then you are forgiven of your sins. It goes on and explains. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Don't doubt it. Hear the promise and believe it. Don't neglect it as if it's not something that's important or something that's just a passing word. It's a costly word that God has poured out upon you so that you would be forgiven and be empowered to forgive. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So you see, we start in this place of condemnation. In Jesus, we are set free. Without Jesus, the rest of the world is still in judgment because this world will come to an end. Scripture makes that very clear. Evil, sin, death all have an expiration date. The devil is already defeated by Christ and he has an expiration date. This is good news. It may seem bad news to the world. We're constantly worried about the end of the world before the Christian. This should be good news because God is making things right. God's justice will be done. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It begins now by faith through you, through a promise. And so hear this word and don't let the devil throw lies at you to cover it up. Because this word is everything. Jesus Christ died for you. Your sins. All of your sins. Every last one. Is forgiven in him. Amen.